Hello, the internet, and welcome to another episode of the podcast Byzantium and Friends. As I record this introduction, events are being canceled around the world, countries are in lockdown, uh, universities are canceling their in-person classes and moving everything online, and so here we are. The episode you're about to hear was recorded about a month and a half earlier, before any of this was on the radar. But the odds are that if you're listening to this uh, anytime soon, uh, you're finding yourself with a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> and uh, a lot of your work has probably been moved to online platforms. Uh, and so, in a certain sense, this is a timely episode since uh, we're about to discuss a number of films uh, about Byzantium that uh, were produced in Turkey. And you can find those films on YouTube um, in the... Um, the main webpage of the podcast, uh, this is um, a Podbean, is the, is the platform on which I um, upload the episodes. Um, you can find a link there to a document that uh, will send you to the various films that we're about to discuss. And you can watch those. I found them very addictive. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's, there are, of all the entertainment options that you have right now, um, you, can add, you can add this to them. So a few months ago, when I spoke with uh, Siren Chalik about uh, Byzantine studies in Turkey, I began to realize that th there's a deeper background there that was very interesting and worth exploring. Um, and in particular, uh, I was um, intrigued by uh, the amount of film and now TV shows that were produced, uh, have been produced and continue to be produced in Turkey, not so much about Byzantium, but that feature Byzantines um, in, in very prominent ways. Um, and I began to do some digging, and I I watched a number of them and thought that um, it would be very interesting to uh, present these um, uh, before you all. Um, and I managed to find um, an expert who could who can guide us through some of the historical issues that are in play in these movies. And by historical issues, I mean both the sources, the medieval sources on which they're based, and also... Uh, the modern context of their production uh, in Turkey. Um, and uh, that expert uh, is Buket Bayre, who's a professor at Koch University in Istanbul. And she has written, um, sh she's the ideal person to talk about uh, this issue, as she has written both on the medieval epics on which many of these films are based. Uh, and these, these epics, as you'll realize, have, are, are multi-layered. That is, they are you know, later, uh, you know, 13th, 14th century Turkish versions of earlier Arabic Islamic material uh, that have been reworked in a 20th century film medium. Uh, and, and she has worked both on those original sources, but she also produces scholarship uh, on the history of Byzantine studies in Turkey um, and how, um, you know, the, the political background and the scholarly trajectories and the entertainment industry all kind of intersect. And it's all very fascinating. Um, I've added uh, references to two of her studies um, in, in, in this area in the uh, podcast description. Now it bears repeating that uh, Byzantines appear more frequently in Turkish historical films than in films produced in any other country. Um, and, and, and that by itself um, is uh, interesting and, and worthy of further investigation. 
Also, Hollywood, get your act together. Or Disney, whoever owns all the studios these days. By the way, Turkish film and TV is a huge industry um, and uh, exports, uh, exports well. Turkish soap operas were, were probably still are very popular in Greece and, and so forth. Um, there's actually a term for the Turkish Hollywood is Yeshilcham. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, so that's uh, for Byzantinists, that is our main point of reference for film and TV. So I strongly recommend that you check out these films. Here then is my conversation with Buket. Hello, Buket, and welcome to the uh, podcast. Hello. Thank you for inviting me, for having me. So before we talk about the movies, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, your, your scholarly work, because I understand that you're working on the medieval sources, the poems on which many of these movies are based. Uh, yes, uh, I uh, obtained my PhD thesis uh, in a co-total program between uh, Parion, Pantheon, Sorbonne and Boazic University in Istanbul. Uh, I worked on uh, late Byzantine martyrdom narratives as well as uh, late medieval Turkish Muslim epics and dervish lives uh, in order to see the representation and presentation of self and the other. Uh, I analyzed them uh, not only looking at the religious or um, political aspects of identity but social, cultural, and special, if you wish. Uh, recently, I published uh, my thesis. I mean, I developed it and published it at April. Um, Warriors, Martyrs, and Dervishes, Moving Frontiers, Shifting Identities in the Land of Rome, 13th, 15th centuries. Uh, yeah, I worked on, as I said, on martyrdom narratives on medieval epics. I'm now uh, acting as the academic coordinator of the 24th International uh, Byzantine Studies Congress, which will be held in Istanbul right. in 2021. Good luck so with that. I'm interested in like Byzantine studies in Turkey also. I recently published an article on the 10th Byzantine Studies Congress in Istanbul and sure. in 1955. So yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah, and and I, I can imagine how much work uh, organizing the conference is going to be. Um, I've I've done a very smaller version of that, the Byzantine Studies Conference in the United States once, and that was just a hundred people. <laughs> it took up months and months of my time. Anyway, so your monograph, um, as I understand it, it also studies these epic poems um, that that were produced in this world between the late Byzantines and. Uh, uh, the uh, the early what is it, Seljuks, right? Mostly and uh, Seljuks, Danish Mandates, Ottomans. Right. Yeah. Can you say a little bit about those poems? I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just say a little bit about those poems because they they do form some of the source material on which these movies are based. Um. Yes. I mean, not directly, but um, indirectly. Um, there are a series of epics uh, like Battal Name, Danishment Name, Ein Saltuk Name. And um, Battal Name is the first one, and like the heroes of the Danishment Name and Saltuk Name consider Said Battal, the hero of the Battal Name, as their ancestors. But uh, they're not like copy paste uh, epics, if you wish. So uh, as um, quote unquote Turkish Muslim groups move, 
from uh, inner Anatolia Cappadocian region towards the Balkans, um, the stories change also. Right. Uh, for example, Saltkname mostly uh, take, I mean, Sir Saltuk's adventures take place in the Balkans, in Crimea, whereas we know that Baltarname, although it's not a um, Turkish hero, Arab warrior, uh, it takes on the Abbasid um, Byzantine frontier of the 9th and 10th centuries. And uh, Danishment Mame is about the founder of the Danishmandit dynasty uh, in the um, 11th, late 11th, uh, early 20th century in Greater Cappadocia. Uh, but it was written by a Seljuk um, Sultan, I mean, sponsored. Right, right. The, the, the uh, written form was sponsored by a Seljuk Sultan. Uh, and then there are others like Dusturname, which tells the story of the Idenolo Bay, not against the Byzantines, but mostly against the Franks, uh, the Latins, let's say. Yeah. So there are few of them. Okay. okay. All right. Um, so let's turn to the, um, the modern cultural production. Um, and when I was talking a few months ago, this is with uh, Siren Shalik, uh, uh, we were just talking in general about uh, the reception of Byzantium in Turkey, and I was doing some research, just very scattered things, and I came to the conclusion that it's very possible that Byzantines are represented in film and TV shows more in Turkey than in any other country uh, that has ever, you know, made uh, uh, historical films, and uh, there's probably a lot more uh, out there that I'm not even aware of. Uh, and so I, I wanted to talk with, with with you. I mean, originally someone, but eventually I I, I, I found your article um, mm -hmm. on that, and so I thought you would be an ideal person. Uh, before we get into the particulars of these films, can you say, can, can you explain why uh, Byzantines appear so much in Turkish historical films? Mm. Um, I mean, history plays. Periodically plays a major ideological and political tool in modern Turkey, and there are certain periods uh, in which history and archaeology also um, played um, uh, more visible, um, let's say, in the popular discourse. Uh, and during those periods, Byzantium uh, also enters to, to the popular discourse in media, comic series, caricature. So. Um, there's also a very good uh, uh, material uh, related to comic series and um, um, caricatures and um, to be analyzed. And, and I don't think anybody analyzed the Byzantine image in them, not yet. Uh, historical novels, films, TV series. And these um, periods can be roughly categorized into four. Uh, first one is after the foundation of the Turkish Republic especially after 1926, during which history and archaeology, as in the creation of most nation-states, played a very important immense role. Um, during those periods, you know, the Turkish history thesis, especially after 1930, was written. Uh, you know, um, new textbooks books were written. Uh, but also, uh, lots of popular historical novels were written, and they were targeted uh, the young generations. 
Uh, and then uh, later, uh, and during that period, there was an alienation from the Ottoman past and Islam, Islamic past, right. and all kind of imperial discourses, if you wish. So cosmopolitanism, empires, uh, all of them were bad things. Right. Uh, then in 1950s, with, uh, with Turkey's passage to multi-party system in the parliament, the Democrat Party, uh, I mean, after the death of uh, Atatürk uh, in 1938, Islam started to infiltrate into the political or, you know, the official discourse. But it's uh, mostly in the 1950s when the Democrat Party uh, used Islam as a tool to uh, won the votes over the founding party uh, uh, the uh, Republican People's Party, uh, yeah. CHP. So they won in 1950s, 1951, um, I guess. And Islam was in their um, political discourse. And then uh, Istanbul also in entered into their discourse because uh, with the foundation of the Turkish Republic, Istanbul ceded its place to Ankara. So during those times, um, Istanbul became neglected, not only the Byzantine monuments, but all the monuments, because the Ottoman past uh, right. had been neglected. But in the 1950s, Istanbul became the city. And that's why, for example, in 1953, uh, the 50th commemoration of the conquest of uh, Istanbul, was organized and uh, during these organizations uh, one of the earliest films about Byzantium was shot by, by Aydin Arokan uh, and it's called um, Istanbulum Feti, so the conquest right. of Istanbul. Sure. Um, you can find it on um, I mean, I, I'll give you the <laughs> internet uh, link. You can watch it on the internet. Uh, and then 1960s, uh, like, you know, all over the world, was the period of the leftist movement, youth, uh, youth movements. Uh, and um, history began to be interpreted in the line of economy and social discourses. So... During that period also, the movies, uh, we see that uh, uh, we see a lot of movies related with Byzantium, but these were the movies which I, in fact, uh, wrote about in my article in Byzantine and Modern Greek Studies. Uh, these were like superhero, low-budget superhero films. Right. So it's not like the 1951 conquest of Istanbul there. They... they they, they weren't initially uh, made to be funny, uh, funny but <laughs> at the end, uh, there, are some, there were so many production errors, which I will talk about if you wish, that in the 1990s, at the end of 1990s, these films became cult movies. They're like the killing, if you wish, of, you know. Yes. Uh, the, uh, or, yeah, they, they are very funny because the heroes carry wristwatches or that you see a plane flying uh, yes. at the background of, and then there are jargon, you know, um, slogans, 
very exaggerated slogans, etc. So uh, these elements were began to be used in 1990s uh, by the youth in caricatures, comic series, and that's why two films, Kahve uh, Bizans, Perfidious Byzantium, and Byzantine Games were produced because of this. Um, uh, they are in fact making fun of these elements of the 1960s, 70s movies. <laughs> and then at the end of 1990s, uh, again there was a surge in, uh, you know, interest in history, manipulation of history, etc., with the rise of political Islam in Turkey. Specifically in the 200s, uh, neo Ottomanist and Islamic politics of culture were introduced. Uh, and um, during this period, certain historical events became re edified, I mean, the, like the conquest of Constantinople or Battle of Manzikert, uh, or new, uh, for example, um, new heroes. Uh, were added, uh, like Abdul Hamid II has the Sultan Abdul Hamid II has not been a he hero until uh, then, but oh. during 1990s and 2000s there were TV series about him okay. and wow. he became a, um, the new hero <laughs> of the uh, new regime, if you wish. I didn't know uh, that. So. Yeah. In this context, there has been an incredible increase in the number of historical TV series and movies. Um, I mean, one can count uh, uh, Conquest 1453, uh, TV series Dirilish uh, or Kurulush Osman. So Arturul and Osman. Osman is the founder of the Ottoman dynasty and Arturul is his father. We know nothing about Arturul, almost nothing, historically, but this is a series which continued for five years. So wow. imagine <laughs> to have a TV series for five years on someone we don't know much. So, in fact, Byzantium enters to the scene in relation with these characters. I see. So, not on its own, but with the conquest of Con Constantinople, with Arturo's uh, installment in Bithynia or Osman. Uh, there are other movies like, um, uh, for example, Kushatma Altında Ashk, which was um, Love Under Siege, which was shot at, in 1997, I think, was again about a love story during the siege of Constantinople in 1453. Yeah, 1453. Yeah. And then uh, another one, um, which I like a lot, why did Hajivat and Karagöz were killed? Uh, a very, I've heard of that I one, mean, yes. A nice movie, it can be discussed if the elements, you know, historical elements are, were, uh, uh, you know, about the historical elements, but uh, it was a good movie. And then Conquest 1453. So, Many TV series and many movies um, uh, have Byzantines and Byzantium, uh, but not... Um, right, yeah. So, I mean, no. In relation with the Ottomans, in fact. Yeah, I mean, so thank or, you for that overview. Yeah. Um, it's been very difficult to find 
this kind of overview um, of the, the history of uh, uh, Turkish films and TV shows about Byzantium. And I haven't yet found uh, someone to sort of classify it in exactly that way. It makes perfect sense. And I'm, I'm intrigued, like, of course, that uh, Istanbul or Constantinople would appear in the sort of, uh, you know, popular lexicon as virtually synonymous with conquest. Like, like, that's the first word that would come to mind, I imagine, in a Turkish context. In the same way that in Hollywood, when you say Roman Empire, it has to be the fall of the Roman Empire. Like, it, it has to be linked with that thematically or even in the title. Uh, but it makes perfect sense that when you start making movies about Constantinople or Istanbul in Turkey, that it would it would be conquest uh, again and again and again, or during the conquest or something like that. And I also found it fascinating that that the early the Batal movies became cult favorites, so that you later have like meta movies that are making fun of them, just like. I mean, the same thing happens in Hollywood. It's when... not only Batal movies. No. There are like Karamurat movies also. Um, I mean, here, not much changes. Uh, the name changes, the hero changes, but uh, most of the time, uh, you know, self, the other, etc. It's uh, the setting, it's always the same. Right. So there are like, for example, Karamurat is um, 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 created, I mean, uh, fictive, and Batal is also fictive, but, you know, we have the late medieval epic of Batal Ghazi, and, uh, you know, um, uh, he's a pseudo-historic character, let's say. Yeah. Whereas Karamurat was created in the 1970s as um, a hero comic series, and then um, there are lots of movies on Karamurat, and he's even more famous than Batal Ghazi. Right. Uh, okay. And uh, and in 2017, a new Karamurat movie was uh, made. Uh, but I mean, um, but the thing is, for example, the same actor playing uh, Batal Ghazi plays also Karamurat, Junaid Arkin. So <laughs> you, as if, you know, uh, you see also there that not much changes in, right. I mean, uh, it's just um, action movies, yes. low budget action movies. Now, I mean, he, the, he, the ones I'm working on, not the ones like Kajivat and Karagöz or the Fenty Conquest, uh, those movies, uh, they are more like historical movies. I mean, um, sometimes they have historians as advisors, etc. But the movies which I s studied, uh, the movies of 1960s, 70s superhero films, uh, these are like action movies. Yeah, the, the so I only saw um, the Batal movies in preparation for this uh, 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 podcast. And that actor is quite striking. And I realized that, just looking on YouTube, that he had played in a number of other historical or pseudo-historical films. Um, and I can imagine that he plays basically the same persona in every movie that he appears in. And yes. he's got that extraordinary, that steely gaze and that, you know, that look that he... It's, it's uh -huh. quite amazing. Uh -huh. um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about who Batal Ghazi was? Um, yeah. So that we can understand these, what these films have done with the character. Uh -huh. In fact, uh, Batal Name, the late medieval warrior epic uh, on Said Batal, Batal Ghazi, is on the adventures of the Arab warrior uh, on the Abbasid Byzantine frontier of the 9th and 10th century. 
uh, the oral roots of the epic may go as far as far back as the arrival of the Danish Mandic Turks in Melitan, Malatya in the 12th century. Uh, the Turkish newcomers, especially the leaders of the Danish Mandic dynasty who controlled Malatya for the better part of the 12th century, probably took interest in the local Muslim legends and associated themselves with the local heroes. Uh, thus creating continuity with the Muslim Arab past. In the 15th century, these stories were probably circulating orally. In the 15th century, the stories of Battal Gaziva uh, were composed in their written form under the patronage of Ottoman frontier lords, um, Ghazi. But the stories of Battal Ghazi were most probably very popular during the Ottoman Empire. We know that you know, the manuscripts were copied many times. Uh, the Janissaries we, uh, were reading his stories. Uh, the Abdallah Rum dervishes were uh, visiting um, his convent. The, the uh, frontier lords uh, who composed uh, the stories, also built the convent of Battal Gazi. So the Abdullah Rum dervishes were visiting his convent, etc. Uh, as late as 19th century, we have like lithograph um, copies of the Battal Name. Uh, but the thing is, um, you know, when I wrote a Byzantine and Modern Greek Studies uh, article, uh, at that time, I was working on my PhD thesis, and um, uh, and it was 2007, and um, I wanted to give a paper uh, at the International Congress of Byzantine Studies in London, and I was fed up with uh, working on the medieval epics because they're difficult, so much layers. Yeah. It's very difficult to know about author audience relation because you know they have oral roots, etc. So I wanted to do something more uh, entertaining. So I chose these films, and I thought that it would be a good exercise to do all of those. Something more recent, something you know I'm closer. Yeah. Uh, that this is how it started, in fact. But when um, you know I then turned into a paper in 2010 and presented to Byzantine and Modern Greek Studies, but by the time it is published, it was 2013. So when I presented the paper, I didn't know much about the source of the films. But I was interested, and even after, you know, uh, handed down my paper, I continued uh, searching, and I found out that, in fact, the source of the, at, at least one of the films is a, early Republican Turkish novel written by Abdullah Diakosanoğlu. Oh. They are very, I mean, they're almost identical, the script and the, 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 the novel. So then I looked at the early Turkish, um, early Republican popular historical novels targeted the youth. And here, uh, it's very interesting because Abdullah Diakosanoğlu, uh, at the beginning of his novel, cites his sources. Like uh, how you know where did the how he gathered information. So he wrote Charles Deal. Uh, it's a translation into Turkish. We know that uh, few books, secondary sources, were translated into into Turkish at the beginning um, of 1920s, 30s, even 40s. Uh, 
he cites also Batalname, but a 19th century lithograph. But uh, this, I mean, Abdullah Ziyar Kozanoğlu's Batnalname has nothing, I mean, very um, little to do with the late medieval Batnalname. Yeah. Uh, in fact, his novel is very much the product of the uh, early Republican um, official Turkish nation. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we, we might have to wait five years for an, an article to be published, but he had to wait 40 years for his book to be made into a film. Um, no, so, but I, his books uh, have been republished many times until 1970s. I mean, I don't know how many um, yeah. uh, editions it made. Like, the first book was published in 1936, maybe, uh, if I remember right. But then it made, like, 20 editions or so until right. 1960s. That's yeah. why probably the scriptwriter found it yeah. practical to use it. Do, uh, do Byzantines appear in his novels? Sure, sure. What does he call them? He, call, he, he calls them Byzantine. And and so you say you point out that in the movies that's also what they're called. Yes. Uh, so they're never called Romans, Rum, or Greki or any or Yunani or anything like that. No, in fact, in the Battalname they're always Rum. I mean, uh, yeah. In the late medieval Battalname, it's the Roman Rum Rum Roman emperor. Uh, they they have a certain way of dressing. Uh, they have their script, they have their, so they're Roman. But um, in the Abdullah Kozanoğlu's novel, uh, he gives a definition of a Byzantine, in fact. He never calls them Roman. He says that there's a relation with Doğu Roma, but he doesn't call them Rum, because in Turkish there are many words uh, which signify, quote-unquote, Greek. Yes. So we have Yunan. Yunan means most of the time, uh, Greeks from Greece. Yeah. And then we have Helen and Greek, which signify, and also Antikuna, which signify ancient Greeks. Uh, we have Rum, which signifies the Orthodox Greek population of the Ottoman Empire, but also the Orthodox Greek uh, community of the Turkish uh, state today, yes. Interestingly, the Cypriot Greeks are called Rum, but the Greeks <laughs> of Greece are not called Rum. And uh, in Abdullah Diakosanolu's uh, novel, the Byzantines uh, are Byzantine. Right. So they're from Byzantine. So there are too and, many uh, words. All the stories. That's also very very interesting for me, and I, I remember writing it down in my article. For example, in the Battalname, the space in which the adventures took place, as I told you, uh, on, they're on the borders of Byzantine Abbasid frontier. Yes. Uh, we learn from the epic that uh, the Byzantine emperor blocked all the frontiers, and uh, Battal Ghazi cannot enter to the Byzantine lands. Only twice he uh, succeeds in entering. He goes to Amorium, and then he goes to Constantinople to save one of the Muslim prisoners from Constantinople. But these are for short periods, and then he always returns back to Malatya. So the um, geographical setting of the Battalname is uh, Malatya, the frontiers, mountains, 
whereas all the novels, not only Abdullah Siyakoza novels, but other novels of um, the early Republican period, as well as the movies, they always, uh, the ge geographically, uh, the setting is Istanbul, Constantinople. Yes. So for Abdullah Ziyakozanoğlu, it's the same thing. And as it's the early times of the Republic and Istanbul, you know, and Ottoman past, they're all, um, how do you say, um, they're no longer praised. Um, Abdullah Ziyakozanoğlu blames the Byzantines, Byzanslılar, for having corrupted the Ottoman sultans. <laughs> okay. So Ottomans, by conquering Constantinople, uh, they uh, adopted the Byzantine ways and then they got corrupted. And that's how he explains how come the Turkish heroes could become uh, yeah. bad. <laughs> so, But this, this changes, for example, uh, uh, this changes in the movies. You see similar things, but as the narrative changes, as the Ottoman past and Islam enters to the political discourse, uh, the story around Battal Ghazi is also changing. So, uh, but what is interesting in the novel is that he talks about the Byzantines. Who, who's, who are the Byzantines? They are uh, from East Rome. Um, they're very multi-ethnic, like the Ottomans. Uh, it's not only the Romans uh, who ruled the Byzantine Empire, but they had Armenians. Uh, so uh, Kozanoğlu counts all the ethnic elements, and among which there were somehow Turks also. Uh, so he says that's why that empire was also... Uh, uh, bound to collapse because it was multi-ethnic, because right. it was uh, cosmopolitan, etc., etc. Yeah, but in the film, the epic of Batal Ghazi, uh, the, and, and only in that one, in the subsequent films, I didn't notice this so much, uh, but in that one, the, the Byzantines wear what resembles like Roman military dress. Um, yes. it, it seems to allude to like more Hollywood-style Romans, and mm -hmm. they they do um, they have the Roman uh, thumbs up thumbs down gesture sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, they eat while reclining, which I found mm -hmm. to be an interesting historical detail. Uh, mm -hmm. So in that movie, there seemed to be some kind of effort to gesture toward um, the Romanness, which faded out in the later movies, uh, where the the Christians, especially the Christian villains became much more generic Christians. They even kind of had some crusader look to them sometimes. Um, or when, when Batal becomes more of a Robin Hood figure, mm -hmm. the, the Christian opponents seem more to be like the sheriff of Nottingham. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but in the first one, there was this uh, effort to make them look like Romans. Is that, so do you think that's some kind of imitation of Hollywood style of the great Roman epics of those decades? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Um, I think um, uh, I think because of the probably because of the um, um, as I said these early 
Turkish Republican novels uh, define the Byzantines as Doğu uh, Romalı, meaning uh, Eastern Romans, not okay. as Rum though, sure, as Doğu sure. Romalı. Uh, Hercule Milas, um, a room uh, of Constantinople, uh, he uh, has written a, a book on how the how the um, Greeks, but he's uh, calling them Yunnan Greeks and Rum uh, are uh, represented in the Turkish novels. Uh, for him, it's they are you know. The same. I mean, Yunnan, Greek, Helen, Byzantine—they are the same. Uh, I believe that um, Byzantine has other connotations. Uh, it changes over time, uh, but uh, the Byzantine and Rum and Yunnan and Greek—they're not the same things. No, the, no, that's a very yeah. complicated. But it uh, should be. I think it should be um, examined more detailly at different periods. For example, after 1912, um, for example, because um, after the Balkan Wars uh, and uh, after the wars of um, Trablusgard, uh, Hercule Milas sees a great change in the definition and in the representation of other in the novels. Uh, because um, the, the Ottomans, just they were forced to define themselves as the other you know ethnic groups were defining themselves within the ottoman empire yeah. so uh, there were changes in the self-definition and with regard to this with the i mean the definition of the other i also found the change of the geographical setting um so situating the events closer to or in constantinople was also interesting because it enabled the filmmakers uh to use the actual monuments and sites in mm -hmm. Istanbul, you know, for their, you know, historical verisimilitude. Um, and I noticed in particular, there was a, there was a wedding scene that was shot in the Hora mm -hmm. uh, church. And then there's a battle in the church. <laughs> like, oh. Yes, there's a whole battle. It would be impossible to film something like that there. Um, and there are all of these battles that take place in the, the Golden Gate um, and on the walls, um, and I, I, I put two and two together. So I read your article on the organization of the International Byzantine Congress in Istanbul in 1955, and you said in there that in preparation for that, and, and you have some wonderful photographs that illustrate this, that they cleaned up a lot of the monuments uh, in mm -hmm. Istanbul, uh, the Byzantine monuments, and I then realized that, well, these films were made like 15 years later, like they took advantage um, of the work that had been done on the monuments to use, <laughs> right? I mean, they, they, weren't, like, they weren't like ruins, you know, and, and the, uh -huh. the before photos show these places, you know, like with a lot of debris and all of that. But by the time you get to the more recent, um, the, uh, the, the Conquest 1453 movie, Mm. Um, and that's in uh, 20, was that 14 or something like that? Um, um, I'm interested. Con Conquest 1453. Uh, I think it was in 2012. T 2012, okay. Uh -huh. By that point, they're obviously not filming scenes in historical and archaeological sites, and it's all CGI. 
Yes. And paradoxically, this makes Constantinople in 1453 look spectacular, like better than it yes, had probably ever looked. It's almost like the 6th century Justinian yes. uh, Constantinople were in the Hippodrome. They were, yes. You know, it's nothing to do with 1453. No, no. Yeah. Um, we it, have the Hippodrome, you know, uh, as if, you know, 6th century uh, Byzantium. Yeah. Uh, it's with, <laughs> with tens of thousands of people and and these incredible and they have the there's the shot when you first see Constantinople in the very beginning and this is I think when the message of the Prophet Muhammad is brought to Constantinople and there's this aerial view as the camera goes toward the city mm-hmm. it reminded me of the the first time that you see the city of Rome in Gladiator uh, which was a movie from 2000, right? And and it, it's like I had to pause that every few seconds just to look at mm. what they had mm. done with the reconstruction. It was great. Um, mm. Anyway, yep, you probably can't use that. Yeah, but money. like if you watch 1951, um, Conquest of Istanbul, and then if you watch 1997, um, Love Under Siege, uh, I think in that sense they're more accurate. Like uh, right, yeah, uh, yeah, because they're, they're, the the monuments are kind of run down. They're not kept up well. That would be more. No, realistic. even the tone of it, like it's not the sixth century Justiniani Hippodrome kind of. I see. You know, uh, even they paid attention to the costumes and. Ah. Uh, I look forward in that to seeing sense, those. They're, yeah. they're more accurate, uh, but yeah, I mean, fourteen fifty three. A conquest was like a, a propaganda film. Also, like. Yeah, sure. Um, so let's. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the women in these films too. Uh-huh. Um, so I noticed there's a pattern. I think the the blonde women in the films are always Byzantine, um, and it was not in the earlier ones. This is in the ones made after 2000. Um, and um, and Batal. So to speak of his movies, he he also seems to have a thing for Christian women. Um, and he converts and marries one, I think. Um, but he's always, he's having some, you know, like affairs, or not affairs, but I think after his wife is murdered, he finds another Christian woman. Um, so what how what are the women doing in these films, and how do their mm. roles change? I, the, the woman um, um, element is uh, very interesting. In the epics also, I mean, in the Baptal Name, Danishment Name, and Saltuk Name, Byzantine women uh, are they they play major roles, especially in the Danishment Name. Um, they have political roles, I think. That's what I argued in my um, article, um, Homo Byzantinus in uh, Turkish Muslim Epics, which will come out at Revidezetul uh, Byzantine, but also in my book. Uh, they have a very specific political role. They are not just uh, stereotypes. Uh, for example, when you look at the Battal Name, uh, like medieval Battal Name, uh, although you see the layers, like the, um, you know, there are crusaders, layers that were added afterwards, maybe ninth, uh, but we see that um, the, um, uh, for example, we see a very omnipotent uh, emperor like the Macedonian emperors. Uh, who could control the frontiers, who could uh, also like a, um, um, 
ecumenic kind of uh, ruler uh, who calls out uh, from other places, uh, Christian uh, areas, and gathers his army, etc. In that context, Batal Ghazi, uh, who is poly, you know, uh, who has who marries with a lot, uh, many women, always marries with the daughters of the emperor. So it has a politic. I mean, this is a um, fantasy, but yeah. uh, the woman. Um, with whom he marries, they're, they're always uh, related with the Byzantine Empire. In the Danishment Name, uh, we, I mean, we see that it's like more like Komnenian, post-Komnenian um, times. I mean, and he, there, uh, the Byzantine Emperor is there, but um, uh, the people, uh, the Byzantines, uh, who are very powerful, are the provincial elites, provincial aristocrats. So um, the hero of the Danishment, Name, uh, Melik Danishment or Ahmed Danishment, he marries with the daughter of a uh, 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 provincial elite. And uh, while, for example, Battal Ghazi is polygamous, Danishment is a monogamous. Mm. And then Sarisaltu, the, the, the story, I mean, uh, takes place when, uh, although, I mean, Sarasaltuk, legendary Sarasaltuk is believed to have lived in the 13th century, I believe that the stories are uh, put together in the 15th century, and we see that, we see different Romans there, as if um, there's the commonwealth. <laughs> uh, so, he marries with uh, not uh, someone from the Byzantines, but from one of these Commonwealth princes' daughter, and he's, she's not even important in the Sarsaltuk's context. For him, what's important is the daughter of a Muslim prince. So um, I think the early historical novels, uh, Republican historical novels, took this uh, woman um, subject in the medieval epics. Oh, I don't know, maybe in the 19th century litho lithographic copies. I didn't look at them, it, it still existed. But then they, uh, while they're converting the hero, for example, Battal Ghazi, who was an um, Arab Muslim, into a Turkish national hero, um, they also made him like a, you know, a very um, um, virile Turkish hero who could charm uh, the Christian woman and the Christian woman uh, do not prefer Greek men but prefer the Turkish man yeah. kind of thing. So yeah. it, it is still political but uh, it changes, I mean. And, uh, it, and in the comic series of the 1950s, 60s, this even becomes erotical. Like you see uh, um, representation of Byzantine women as prostitutes or like very sexy women uh, and then uh, when they get married with Battal uh, they become the, the the lady of the house and they yeah. become ah, Muslim, right. they're, they're tamed and uh, civilized they're, um, <laughs> yeah no, I mean the women so always... this was the idea and the, yeah. it's very interesting I didn't pay attention to that uh, that uh, you said in the last movie, uh, 
conquest 1453, the women were all blonde. In fact, when I looked at them, I saw a Russian woman uh, <laughs> playing. Uh, so it had also connotations oh, right. in modern Turkey. Right. Uh, uh, Russian woman arriving uh, after the fall of uh, 1990s. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the roles that women play in these kinds of cross-cultural exchanges are very heavily, <clears throat> I think, encoded with ideas of, of domination, um, yeah. right? So it's significant that, you know, Batal is marrying Christian women, but that the Christian lords or emperors are not marrying Muslim women. Conversely, in other words, who gets to marry whose women? Um, yes, it, it, it's interesting because in the beginning, Sacritas is the uh, yes, Byzantine yes. woman marrying yes. the, um, the Arab uh, Syrian uh, emir. Yes, so, that, yeah. very good point. Yes, that's quite different. Um, so, in some senses, you can say marrying the daughter of the Byzantine emperor is a sign of your status because everybody wants to marry into the imperial family in Constantinople because that shows that you're important. But in a different way, it's also a sign of cultural superiority um, that, that you're marrying their women and they're not marrying your women. Um, and also that, that, just as you said, that their women are depicted as somewhat off until they marry the, the right person who puts them in the right But this of... wasn't the case in the medieval epics. No, no, no. I'm not not at not. all. You'd see it only in the novels. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, early modern... Republican novels and in the movies. And, uh, uh, and especially in these 1960s, 17 movies, uh, which adopted the heroes of the early Republican novels. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's so, uh, that's why I also looked uh, later at the audience of the novels. And I realized that these movies, as well as the novels, were targeted like young uh, boys between, I don't know, 14 and 18. Because there is, you know, action, fighting, etc., yeah. erotic uh, stories, uh I thought that that was their audience, uh, most probably. It couldn't be, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, and I found I mean, the, the, um, the symbolic trajectory of the women um, is, in some respects, it reflects what's going on in the relationship between the cultures in, in the sense that the Byzantines are definitely depicted as other but not ir irredeemably so. Um, so Batal befriends um, a local nobleman, a Byzantine nobleman, whom I think he converts to Islam. I think there's a whole ceremony about that in the in. I uh, can't remember which film it was now. And he's his best friend. It should friend. be in the Batal Gaz this time. The, yeah, the, yeah. the legend of Batal Gaz. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the same with the women. And so they they move from their you know Byzantine Christian context into a very pious a Muslim one. They become good housewives and devoted to Batal and so on. And I see a little bit of this also in the, in the Conquest 1453 movie, where, the, I mean, the, Byzantine, the Byzantines aren't depicted as evil. They might be the enemy to be conquered, but, I mean, their emperor is a little bit sometimes over the top. Um, but overall, they're presented as people who will do well under Ottoman rule. Um, like, yeah, we have to defeat you. We have to conquer your city. 
But in the end, don't worry. Uh, you know, we'll treat you well. And, you know, Mehmet walks into a year Sophia holding a baby. <laughs> and, you know, everybody is reassured that, you know, th you will be okay in this new order. Um, whereas I'm not sure that Western Europeans in the movie are, are treated in the same way. That is, the real enemy might be like the crusader or pa papal. And there's this one scene, there's a scene um, that takes place in the Vatican, and it, it's with the Pope and the Cardinals. And I think they are depicted more as the, you know, evil scheming power behind the scenes in the Christian world. And that scene has been removed from the English version of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I found it when I was watching the Hindi version of the movie. <laughs> and, yes. And I was like, wait, this scene isn't there. And I went and I compared the two. And mm -hmm. yeah, they had removed the scene with the Pope mm -hmm. and the evil cardinals. And they look a little bit like, I don't know, like in Star Wars, like the emperor and those red people, you know, those red guards <laughs> around him and all that. I was like, yeah, okay. So the Orthodox people are, you know, they're part of our, the broader world that we're creating and we'll take care of them. But it's the it's the westerners who are possibly more trouble mm. and yeah well anyway yeah, you see this in the battle as well but um in a different context for example in the battle the story opens uh with a story in which uh there's a talk between um muhammad the apostle uh and um, a close friend of his and then as he was, the, the Muhammad was waiting um, a message from Gabriel, okay. um, it doesn't come and he, he gets uh, impatient. And then they said, okay, let's tell you a story which will cheer you up, etc. So Abdul Wahab uh, tells a story saying that Apostle of God, I traveled far and wide and visited many climes, but of all the places I have seen, I never saw a place like the land of Rum. Its towns are close to each other, the rivers are full of water, springs are gushing, air is pleasant, game is slender, its food is abundant, and its people are extremely friendly, except they are all infidels. Yes. Hopefully, God shall grant this province yeah. to the Muslims. But this is said in another context, whereas uh, what you see in the movies is again related with the ideologies of the Turkish Republic, which, which uh, introduces this idea that um, uh, the Byzantine people weren't happy about their rulers and the Turkish rulers, when yes. they came, yes. they yes. saved them. Saved so them. The, yes, the, yes. The, 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 that's why you always see this, you know, uh, cruel ru Byzantine ruler, but Byzantine people who are welcoming. But it has, it, I mean, maybe the idea was taken from these early novels, but it, it's adapted in the nationalistic way. And... Um, and it's very complicated the way the modern Turkish identity is, uh, has has been formed because you know it needs to, especially with regard to Byzantium. I think there are lots of things to be studied. Yeah, beginning it, with the you know nineteen twelve probably up until now at different periods how Byzantium is integrated into the official discourse. Yeah, and it will continue to change, uh, no doubt. Um, I mean, we've, we've only, we're only a century into this and, uh, 
Yeah, yes. which is, you know, small change uh, for us. And um, even if you look at how, say, the representation of China has changed in Hollywood movies just because Hollywood wants access to the Chinese market. Um, okay. And all of a sudden, you always have to have a positive Chinese character. And, the, you know, the, I mean, these, these things change from year to year almost. <clears throat> and, but what about in, like, uh, in Greece or in the Balkan countries, um, which... Uh, consider Byzantium or which came to consider Byzantium as their official uh, history. I there's, mean, there's not much in Greece. Are there movies uh, about Byzantium? There must be. Um, <laughs> so I don't watch that much, uh, you know, Greek TV or, or movies. Uh, there are not that many movies made in Greece, um, and the, the few that are that are good and watchable are they're very you know, artistic movies and they have to do with modern themes. Um, mm-hmm. And those are good. Um, I remember in the 70s, there was a TV series about uh, uh, um, Romanos Diogenes who lost at mm-hmm. Manzikert. Um, mm-hmm. And I had only seen glimpses of that, but I cannot find it. And some friends of mine who looked for it told me that it's possible that there are no copies of it surviving. Ah, okay. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's true, but yeah, um, I no, I I'm not aware of any. I mean, I grew up here. I didn't. I was never exposed to anything about Byzantium. Um, and uh, and it's not it's not easy to film Byzantium in, in in a lot of ways. We'll see. You know, Turkey is now exporting so many TV shows to the rest of the world. Yes. Yeah. So let's see what. Uh, in fact, some of them might actually be about Byzantium. I found some TV shows that were about the early early Ottoman Ghazis or something like this. And, um, you know, we'll see. Anyway, um, well, uh, thank you, Bouquet. We're, we're almost out of time. Um, okay. I was wondering at the end if you wanted to recommend two good books that you've read that don't have to be about this topic. Yeah, as um, Byzantium uh, in Batal Ghazi films are equated with Constantinople, Istanbul, I would like to suggest two books uh, on Istanbul Constantinople. Okay. One is a novel by Ihsan Oktay Anar, uh, The Atlas of Misty Continents. I think it was uh, translated in French, uh, Atlas, Atlas de Continent Brumeux. Uh, this is a quasi-historical humoristic novel set in the late 17th century Istanbul. Uh, about uh, philo- uh, about um, uh, I mean it has many colorful characters a man who creates an atlas by imagining places a cuddly but uh, very real bear a book owned <laughs> by Lawrence of Arabia a siege of Bulgarian town a crack thief who disguises himself as a woman to get into other people's houses ends up as king of the beggars and king of the beggars is uh, one of the characters in Battal Ghazi films, in fact. Uh, and the king of the beggars is known as Pork Eater, uh, a rich, powerful man who is the head of the Turkish secret service, who has a mirror that predicts an apocalypse in Istanbul. And all of these characters are linked by Bunyamin, um, son of uh, the man who created the Atlas. Wow. He gets hold of a special black coin, 
seek to avenge his father gets caught up in every conspiracy going at that time. I can't so this wait is for a the very, movie. Very, very nice. Uh, <laughs> I, I really like this book. Okay. The author is a philosopher at the university. Isan Oktay Anar is a philosophy teacher at the University of Ege. And he has many books, but this was his first book. And okay. I liked it a lot. The other is Carlotos Byzantios. Maybe you know him. Yes. Um, his book on Constantinople, the first volume, uh, which was in Greek, uh, is translated by Haris Rigas, who teaches uh, ancient Greek and Latin at Koch University, and who founded Istos Publishing House in Istanbul. And this book is originally a three-volume book, which was written between 1851 and 1869 by Scarlatos Byzantios. Uh, it draws on classical Byzantine, Western European, and Ottoman sources, and it covers a vast period over two and a half millennia, in fact, from the mythical foundation of Byzantium to Scarlatos' own time. Uh, Scarlotos guides the reader through the neighborhoods, like, you know, the 19th century neighborhoods, monuments, social practices of 19th century Ottoman Istanbul, his native city, in fact, assisted by detailed references to major historical events, personalities, long-forgotten anecdotes. Um, he's interesting because... Um, he sees a continuity between Byzantium and Ottoman Empire, and that's why he wasn't right. much praised in Greece at that time. Yeah, uh, I've, I've looked through some of those volumes. I, I didn't make uh, you, it you know, you know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and thank you for, for mentioning that. And, and I, I might even want to talk to the, uh, the translator uh, for the podcast. Yeah. Uh, what did you say his name was again? Haris. Oh, yes, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll look him up. Okay. Uh, great. Uh, thank you, Buket. This has been actually quite informative. Um, I mean, I don't speak Turkish. So I don't have access to all of this information, so I really, really want to know it. So thank you. You're welcome. It's my and pleasure. It, you know, it was a great <laughs> pleasure. And, and I, will, I will watch some more of these movies. Maybe we, we yeah, 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 we can do this again, maybe. All right. Okay. Thank you, Buket. You're welcome. Bye-bye.